With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mourinho is gone. Hello and welcome to episode 20, yes 20, of The Real Football Cast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we will be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual we will be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. But in addition to that, there also are some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye, some big ones, and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. Joining me tonight is the return of my trusted strike force from a few weeks ago. First up is the return of my good friend, Cole. Cole, it's a pleasure to have you back on The Real Football Cast. How have you been, my friend? Yeah, really good, Dan, and uh, good to be back, mate, chatting and all things football. Excellent. That same gratitude also goes to Matthew, our resident Fulham fan, who I believe now got his hat-trick ball for the season. Matthew, how have you been keeping? Uh, it's not been grand. I'll admit my my uh, uh, outlook on life more or less follows the uh, ebb and flow of following Fulham. So it's been a little bit down. I had a, a bit of a brief uh, positivity a couple of weeks ago when we beat Southampton, but it's all starting to come all the way back down again. Oh dear. Well, let's hope I can cheer you up for the next like sixty minutes or so. I mean, at least sort of take the edge off that mood slightly. Um, before we do that, I'll do some social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking into the abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Anything show-related, please send it my way. You can find me, of course, via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, then you can, of course, find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool? I hear you ask. It's, well, it's not a new game, it's been going for quite a bit now, so it's a game that sees betting turn on its head, with a focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account, especially as there is a new prize pool which guarantees the winner £1,000, something you will not want to miss out on. Like I say every week, the odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live, and I guess there's only really one place to go, I would say Old Trafford, but actually, Mourinho doesn't work there anymore. Because, Matthew, I guess it's been coming, but a £24 million payoff will soften the blow somewhat, especially just before Christmas, won't it? Yeah, you said it's been coming. Um, I think that's really the, the sort of big surprise over this has been has been the timing of it. The fact that it was um, the fact that was, uh, today of all days, Tuesday, you'd have figured it would have been something that would have been handled. You know, maybe the day after they, you know, when they get back from Liverpool, he gets fired on the Sunday night, and then the news sort of gets released on the Monday at nine o'clock, sort of thing. You can sort of, sort of figure that out, but. It's, so it's the fact that it's come on the Tuesday. It's come today. It's just taking everyone a, just a, a wee bit by a wee bit by surprise. But sort of on an overall, I'm on an overall. I'm sort of surprised that he's gone. I expected him to at least be given till the end of the season. What with you know Champions League and FA Cup still up for grabs. There's still there's still the chance for him to win a uh, trophy. So the fact that he's gone now is a bit of a surprise, but. On an overall, I think everyone everyone sort of knew that this was it was going to be his last season anyway. So I think they're just trying to get 
get ahead of the get ahead of the curve as it were and try to appoint whatever the the new manager is coming ahead before they get yeah, before like names as Zidane has been brought up, uh, Pochettino I don't believe, Simeone I don't believe, but all the managers that names are going to get that are going to be out there, they're basically just trying to get a jump and everyone over it. What do you put the, the change in mindset down to? Because then you you know just said that you didn't really expect it to come, especially at the time we've had it in that week. You know, like you say, you could have been really dramatic and gone straight after the United games on Sunday. The dust could have settled slightly, maybe yesterday. So at what point? So they go, right, it's Tuesday, something's got to change. As you know, as a word's been put in the ear of the hierarchy from, say, even Sir Alex Ferguson and thought, you know, from an outsider looking in or someone who's got such a strong link to the club, like, something has to change. Is it? Is it something in the background or what do you put it down to? Um, it could be any number of things, you know. Uh, no, no one knows 100% of what goes on uh, in the back rooms, in the, you know, in the back offices of football clubs, apart from the people, apart from the people that are running the football club. My only thought is, and I mentioned the fact that they're in the Champions League, is that they saw PSG on the horizon and thought, "Nah, he's not getting us through that. That's one avenue. That's our biggest." sort of trophy out the window we may as well get we may as well get the jump on it now is my own is you know we're not going to get through with him our best chance is probably going to get of getting through is probably going to get like a Zidane or a Bochettino or a Simeone or anyone like that they're going to be able to get us through this guy this guy isn't that's my that's my sort of only thought I, do, I honestly don't think Sir Alex Ferguson would have had that much of a say in it I think he's very much just sort of you know, ambassadorial role now I don't he had, you know, the way that he more or less had David Moyes to be his replacement. I don't think he's had that much of a say on, on any sort of matters ever since, because there's no way he would have given Van Gaal the job, for instance. So I don't, I don't think this is Fergie's call at all. Okay, that's a very good point you raised, Cole. It seems like they're going to be naming a caretaker manager for the caretaker manager. So Michael Carrick's going to be in charge for, I guess, forty-eight hours. I've read. God knows how many names today, but the hottest tip as of, say, 8 o'clock tonight is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So can he do anything to revive, I guess, what has been a shipwreck of a season so far? I guess the only thing then, isn't it now, is that anyone going in there it just has to try and win over the key players now. Um, and hopefully if you get those key players like Pogba on your side and you suddenly you know, sell to him that you're going to build a team around him, there's still enough talent at the club that could basically, you know, if they get on a run and they build some momentum, there's still enough talent in that United side that means they could go on and finish the season decently and and possibly win a trophy. So you're not going into, you know, this is not a big Sam situation where you're walking into a club that you kind of already know you're doomed. Um, This is a club with massive potential and and what a chance to try and sell yourself. Um, You know, the names being mentioned... You know, it's real hit and miss, isn't it? You know, you'd think someone like Zidane may be a real prime candidate, but he might look long term. You know, it was quite funny watching Sky Sports News this morning when this broke and you had a guy on the phone to Gary Neville trying to just relay the message that, hold on a minute, Michael Carrick's been put in charge for two days and then after two days, they're going to rename a new manager. And I think Gary Neville found it quite amusing. It was like, you know, why do you feel the need to tell us Carrick's going to be in charge for two days? You know, just say there's a caretaker until we find someone new this week. Um, I don't think any of us really can have a clue who's going to end up there, to be honest. You'd like, you'd think they'll try to pick a name because obviously United still wants some form of reputation and good manager to go in. You know, I did see, you know, I think Paul Lintz has come out today and said that he thinks the real two men who know the club inside out, Steve Bruce and Mark Hughes. And I had to chuckle at those names being put forward because especially with Hughes's record lately I don't see United suddenly thinking this could be the man that turns our season around um so because they'll still want someone who can come in and have that reputation it gets the squad excited and gets them wanting to play and, and try and win things so I see a bigger name than that um you know hitting maybe till the end of the season uh, and then you know during that process we know they're going to be scouting out the future long-term manager well, this leads me on to my next question, Cole, and it's, I guess, one I have to ask, especially with us being Spurs fans. Pochettino is already being linked at large. You know, it's something that's already sort of surfaced repeatedly, so this is almost like the prime bit of rumour, isn't it? So, 
we've answered this question in many different ways, many different times. But as of right now, is he going to look at that job and just think it's a poison chalice? It's one I don't really want. And always, and I guess almost, so I say, that he's going to be in real demand this summer because you take into account that United are going to be looking for a long-term manager. Santiago Solari is doing his best, I guess, Tim Sherwood impression at the Bernabeu, and that job is probably going to be more than likely vacant as well. So it's you know it's hard to sort of say that everything's going to stay the same at Tottenham, but I mean, will we have reason to have his head turned, or are things still going in the right direction for Spurs? What's your take on all things Potch and where he might end up in say I don't know three to six months' time? I think we've always known haven't we then at some point you know we've got this great manager who's do who's performing miracles on what is basically you know a mid-table budget um and we've kind of always known you know the performances and his style of management you know the way he holds himself around the football he's an attractive proposition for any side now um so all the big sides, I think, if they're looking to replace their manager in the summer, he will be, you know, if he isn't top of the list, it will be a very close second. Because I think the one thing that, you know, appeals with someone like Poch, and this is probably what could appeal to Man United if they want to get their house in order, is that there is a guy you can potentially look to build a long-term future of a club around you know he he doesn't want to go there you know he won't go somewhere looking for short term um and just want to have an impact for one or two seasons you know we've seen that he likes to bring through youth players um and and he is all about building a team environment you know not a superstar environment um and as people seem to get offended lots of spurs fans seem to get offended when potch is linked to these jobs but the reality is there's a only so long that Potch may sit around at Spurs thinking, well, there's only so much I can do sometimes with the resources I've got. You know, we have got the new stadium coming on and we have got a great young side. But at the same time, uh, there will be a certain point where if you've got aspirations as a football manager, you want to manage one of those top sides. And given, you know, given potches from a latino background teams like barcelona and real madrid are, are the sort of clubs that they want to manage at some point because it's in their blood so he will get his head turned for us i just think we have to hope that maybe by the time that happens we've managed to stick a trophy on on the sideboard and you know potch can see that there is a long-term future but that may also rely upon you know, assurances given from the ball to say that they will help him and back him and actually give him possibly the squad that can go on and compete, you know, on multiple fronts. Um, but he's going to be in demand. So I think for us, Dan, it's a kind of, you know, we know he's not going to go now. So I think we, we're safe till the end of the season. But I'll be honest with you, I will not be sit, sitting pretty once that final ball's been kicked and the whistle goes because you never know in football. And let's face it, those clubs are such big clubs that quite rightfully most people could have their heads turned at the options and money and stuff they'll have thrown at them by those clubs. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You look at sort of people are sort of quoting astronomical figures about the fact that Pochettino's going to have to be bought out of his contract, and they're saying sort of 34 million, 40 million. But for a club like Real Madrid or Man United, they won't qualm at paying that if if it means getting their man. So the fact that Tottenham obviously still looking for that trophy that eludes them, and it almost that second half of the season takes takes them such extra importance because now they really do need to win a trophy if they do really want to keep their manager long term. And I think Levy has to be true to his word that she wasn't necessarily true to at the end of last season about, you know, really backing the manager and things like that. So it's going to be, you know, we always have been saying for the last, I don't know, three, four years that it's going to be a pivotal season or a pivotal summer for Tottenham. I think this I one think might as really... well then. Yeah, and, and I think as well, you know, people have been, I've seen, you know, tweets and that today saying that why would he swap the sort of players he's got at Tottenham? But I think we also have to remember that come the end of the season, you know, if we've had a trophy this season again, and, you know, at the moment it's looking good, but if we were to miss out on the top four, if Potch went somewhere like Madrid, the likelihood would be some of those players would be open to following him. That's right. Because they clearly love him. So... You know, someone like Harry Kane, 
again, you know at some point he may make the move, like Bow did. And what better time to go when the bloke who you've built up this great relationship with for a long while is at the new club that you fancy going to. So Poch will have those guys and could possibly prize two or three of them away. And then, you know, we, then things are not looking so rosy for us, are they? So, yeah, th- this summer will will be a real, um, you know, a real tense one, I think. Absolutely. I honestly, I honestly don't think Spurs fans have anything to worry about. If you look at it on sort of the current landscape, why on earth would you leave Tottenham at the at this stage? You know, yes, a couple of years ago, Manchester United would have been seen as the great thing and the and the be all and end all and the biggest club in the world. But if you look at how things are sort of being run right now. Why on earth would you want to leave Spurs? You've got you're moving into eventually. We hope at some stage of this century, moving into the new stadium, which by everything we've seen on social media and the previews, look as if it may just be the greatest stadium that the world has ever given us. You know, well worth the wait. If you look at the players that he's got to deal with, he doesn't have to deal with the level of egos of the likes of Romelu Lukaku and Paul Pogba. The main one, he doesn't have to deal with all the social media nonsense that goes on with Jesse Lingard. And I think I think it is nonsense. I think some his uh, social media play and social media awareness is is is, so, is slightly off. You don't have that problem. With, you don't have that problem with Spurs. Why on earth would you leave? And you may, you know you mentioned earlier it's something that you know, Pochettino believes in building a club and building a team and bringing through the youth. What is there that what is there that Man United offer? That you uh, don't really already have with Spurs. What, I, I what is the difference? The only, I think the only restriction we may have that could tempt someone like Poch in the end is resources, and that we you know Levy is renowned for you know not particularly splashing out sometimes on the resources that are needed if you like to push it to push the team over the line. And I just wonder if at some point someone like Poch may feel well, listen. I'm doing as much for you as I possibly can. And there's only so much, you know, I can wring out of these players before at some point I do also need someone who's going to back me and give me a little bit of help. And that is the only thing I feel that may cost us is if he suddenly gets to a point where he just thinks I've done enough and there is only so much I can do by bringing through young players. Um, I actually sometimes I do need a, a board or chairman who is prepared to back me with a couple of big signings here and there to help me get things over the line. And that's possibly the only thing I can see where the attraction is that he may just get to a point at some point where he says, I think I've done enough here. And for me as a manager, you know, I want to finish my career saying I won this, won that, won this and won that. And am I going to do it here if I'm not going to be given sometimes the right tools I need to get it done. And that that's my only fear. That's the only attraction I see other clubs having right now over Spurs. Yeah, yeah, and I can. I, I don't want to turn this into a, into a Pochettino. So I mean, this isn't meant to be a Mourinho thing. So I'll just ask this sort of one quote. You mentioned about Daniel Levy um, not being the best at uh, giving out the giving out the funds, as it were. Um, you're you're like more likely to know this more than I would. But what is this sort of outlook going to be looking like in terms of how much more money the stadium is going to generate? Once maybe that's the reason he's sort of been holding back in recent years is because he knows give it a couple of what, and then I'm going to get the new stadium. Coming in with you know bigger attendance better hospitality uh you're gonna get some money because the nfl game is going to be played there is it going to be waiting for that money to come through before he starts releasing it uh, am i am i sort of off the mark here no I, th- I think that's right i guess the only problem is now with players and managers it's a short career isn't it so the the kind of you know with say with some of the players like Ali and Kane, you know the few of like, well, if you just give us another three or so years when this money starts rolling in, then we'll be able to compete. To them, it's like that means I'm missing out on three or four years of big money, possibly trophies. And do do players want? Will players sit around that long now, or do they? You know, will some one of those players want success now? You know, they'll feel I've done enough. I now can go where I can get instant success bit like Carl Walker and then that's where the attraction is of like I get double my money elsewhere and I also win things um and yeah the ideal would be that you think a few of them say no there's a real project going on here but I think we know now modern day players sometimes don't necessarily think like that Kane may be the only one 
who I really think may go, well, I see a bit more longer term, a bit like Steven Gerrard type player. Um, the others, I'm not so sure. But I hope you're right. I really do hope you're right. I think really football's all about timing, isn't it? Because sometimes opportunities land in your lap and a football has to weigh up, you know, I'm ever going to get this again because, you know, form can drop dramatically. You could get injured. That move may never materialise. So if Poch does go and then he comes waving a bag of money as a Madrid or United manager, then it might be very hard for someone like Deli Ali, Christian Eriksen to sort of turn down that kind of move. And from Poch himself, does he want to be known as a manager that just is great at bringing on young players? Or does he want to be known as a manager that wins trophies? And I think the answer is the latter there, isn't it, really? You know, he doesn't just want to be someone who has cultivated a great crop of players, but then is almost the nearly man or, you know, the team that nearly did stuff and entertained people but didn't win trophies. He's got a burning desire to be, you know, one of, if not the best managers in world football. He's not quite there yet and that comes with winning trophies. So, oh yeah, like I say, or well, like you sort of said, Carl, it's going to be a really, really horrible summer um, and I, I don't think we're going to enjoy it until... The start. No, I'm not looking forward no, to it, mate. Absolutely not. But let's move on because we, we could dwell on this uh, for quite a while. But, uh, Matthew... Whoever the man that takes over United in the interim, one of his first tasks will be working out how to get the better of PSG. Now, could that man become something of a Roberto Di Matteo figure like at Chelsea back in 2012 and somehow galvanise the team to win the competition itself? Um, that, that, that's, a hell of a, that's a hell of a lot of galvanising to get the team True, from the state is, yeah. they're in. From, from the state they're in now to what they... Because Chelsea were in a much better position back in 2012. 12, 11, whatever, whenever they sack Vias Boas, I lose, I lose track of exactly when they got rid of him. Um, yeah, that is going to be the big thing because it is really now Manchester United's best chance of getting back into the Champions League for next year because I think the top four is done for them. I'm just like, you know, 11 points, we can just rule them, we can just rule them out for now. And, you know, we've gone through, you know, we, Man United have gone through periods in the past where they've been out of the Champions League and they've sort of, sort of, financially budgeted for they can survive one I think two years out of the Champions League before it starts hitting them majorly and obviously they they, they don't want to be just the Champions League for the, for the money side of it there's also the, you know, the prestige and the and the chance of winning the Champions League so I think yeah as, you know, as I said the person who galvanises them that's that's a hell of a job I don't think that I don't think they are going to be doing going to be able to do it I think the person that is going to sort of kick them on another stage it won't be whoever the the interim manager is until the end of the season I've seen a lot of talk about Ryan Giggs seeing as I think Wales have only got the one game in March uh, sort of that breaks up the that breaks up the schedule uh, which as a watch I wouldn't be totally against I think Giggs still needs to get some coaching um uh, coaching under his belt because I think he's still a little bit raw in that sense. But you know, there's talk about Ollie Solskjaer. He, I think that is the way that they need to go for this interim manager is get someone who gets the club. I personally, I mentioned about Gav, you know, I mentioned about Gavin Isaac. The only player who would would be, player manager would be Roy Keane. If there's one person you want in that dugout that's going to actually sort these players out and get... I, I know people say it's a joke, but there is some level of seriousness to it. If you get someone like Roy Keane to actually sit the players down and say, right, this is Manchester United, stop your stupid... You know, you know what, what Roy Keane does. No, stop stop your dabbing, stop your posting on social media, all that thing. Even if you want to get Gary Neville, because he's somewhat on that same level of thing. That's what you really need in the short term, just a short, sharp shog, just a uh, sort of a wake-up call, if you were. Then in the summer, when you appoint the next manager, maybe then have the culture change. But just for now, they really do need, the whole team needs that real big kick up the backside, just to, uh, just to not to spur them on, but to sort them out at least. I tell you what, if Roy Keane was named interim manager, that would be one hell of a combustible atmosphere between him and Paul Pogba, wouldn't it, Carl? Uh, I would. I'd pay. I'd actually pay money to just go to the training ground every <laughs> day, to be honest. Because I tell you now, Roy Keane going in there, I can imagine the first day. Right, you, 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 and you. You're all this, that, that, and that. Oh, he, he would really set the tone nicely to begin with. But 
I do understand the point there that's being made, you know. I think maybe had Gary Neville not gone to Valencia, he would have been a prime candidate. But yeah. I think that little stint there has maybe tarnished his his reputation. But I, I certainly understand the point there that he's making sure, you know, these players understand. I, I just don't know whether today's modern footballers actually buy into all of that kind of thing, you know, like as we're saying, I think most modern footballers now are just more concerned about their social media presence. And I'm not even sure if one of these, Akeen or Gary Neville going in and saying, right, hold on a minute, this has to stop, that has to stop. You know, you've not achieved nothing, so you shouldn't be on social media. I just think players nowadays wouldn't even bat an eyelid to any of that. I, I, it, it's a real shame, but I don't see anyone like Jesse Lingard or Paul Pogba being worried because they'd probably just turn around and say listen you know my social media is one of the main things i'm concerned about so it's really strange isn't it yeah it's almost as if player power's gone too far and the sort of i guess the repercussions aren't really going to be felt that much in you know they're earning let's say 150 200 grand a week that's not going to stop so it's just water for ducks back really i guess that's the short termism of managers and the whole nature of hiring and firing really but you know I think I, I think you either need don't you? you need a board to either make it clear to the players that listen this is the man we're backing and if you're not on board you'll be out the door you know let's look at the Pogba situation for Jose now if Jose clearly turned around and said to the United ball listen this guy ain't for me I don't want him around the squad if the United board suddenly said right we'll get rid of him then now that sends a message to the rest of the squad, doesn't it? That's like, listen, we're backing this bloke, and if you're not on board, you go. Simple as that, because we want a team ethic rather than an individual. But getting rid of players like that nowadays, clubs don't seem so keen to, to get rid of some of those high-profile players. Um, but I would say I think United need to look a lot more than just at Joe say, you know, I don't think the club's being run as well off the pitch as it should be. And there might be people there that need to need to be got rid of as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of lame ducks that could do with a clearing out. And whether that comes in the summer with a new man actually coming in and saying, right, root and branch, it's got to change. Because I think the mentality of the club's just been stagnant. It's been completely stale since Fergie's left. That's now what? Moyes, Van Hal, Mourinho, they've all failed. I know Fergie would have set an incredible bar to sort of match, but no one's coming even close to it. And it's, you know, just a sort of decline. They're a powerhouse in terms of financial institution. They're great at getting deals for noodle companies but when it comes to actually you know getting results it's just uh, it's going south isn't it so um you know let's see what they can do over the next few months it'll be interesting and it's not going to be the last we sort of hear about that but if we talk about the champions league and the draw itself cole there's very much a bundesliga versus premier league flavor to it with no less than three pairings of that nature so for you how many of each competition will get to the quarterfinals? And more importantly, who? So are we looking at a German whitewash, an English whitewash, or somewhere in between? I, I To be honest with you, Dan, I, I think I see us Spurs just edging Dortmund in a tight game. You know, Dortmund uh, have come a long way lately and they're, you know, they're a good young side. But I, I, I actually think we will see those off. Um I think City will see off their opponents. So, you know, City are one of the favourites to win it. So, I don't see them having any trouble. Um, and then after that, yeah, the Bayern game, that's going to be really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, Bayern have got that history. So, that one, I think, could go either way. But I'd still fancy the English, you know, our English sides to come through, to be honest with you, mate. I, I, I think this could be one of those years where we end up having either an all-English quarter-final or semi-final at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's all sort of cyclical, isn't it? Like the team that dominates. We've, we've had like an English spell around sort of, I don't know, the start of the decade, that kind of period, like the 2000s. And then it's gone Spanish and it could be the sort of the changing of the guard, really. So, Matthew, if we look at Liverpool, they'll be confident of getting better, the better of Bayern Munich because it's fair to say that they're now a team that's going through a transition under their new manager, Niko Kovac. And also, Father Time is finally getting the better of the likes of Arjen Robben and Frank Ribery. So... They're there for the taking almost, aren't they, by him? I mean, you shouldn't rule them out, but they're not quite the, the powerhouse that they were a few months ago. You took the words exactly right out of my mouth. I was, good. I was just about to say, I think, you know, we talked about a, an English whitewash. Um, 
I think it is going to. I think it's going to be an English whitewash when it comes to against the Bundesliga teams. The the biggest name of it will be Bayern Munich, but they are not the force that they once that they once were. You talk about them, you know. Basically, every single point that you made was the point that I was about to make. Sorry, mate. You mentioned that no, right? No, it's okay. You mentioned to the likes of Frank Ribbier and Iron Robin are getting on. The fact that it's Nico Kovac's uh, first year in uh, first year in charge. Uh, Manuel Neuer seems to have gone completely out of. See, I'm not seeing as many uh, Twitter and YouTube highlights from him as there have as I have been in recent seasons. Whether or not that whole playing in midfield for Germany in the World Cup thing just completely ruined him as a goalkeeper, I don't know. Um, yeah, Liverpool were absolutely fantastic. The only thing about Liverpool is the fact that the second leg is at is in the Allianz. And we've we you know we always romanticize and there is some level to it, as they proved against Napoli, those big European nights at Anfield. If Bayern Munich somehow managed to shut up shop and keep it to like a one nil or or even worse for them, a two one, and then sort of have the somewhat advantage going into the second leg, that's when I think there's that's when I think you're gonna be sort of a little bit nervous had it been the other way around and Liverpool had the second leg at Anfield huge difference but I think that um, the fact that the second game is at the Allianz Arena just you know, Liverpool are still going to go through but it's just going to make that a little bit harder for them yeah I think it's a very good point you make actually about the way the, the tie sort of set up so I think that's the one that's closest in the balance but they're all going to be sort of great ties I mean City should have the easier lie of the land against Schalke but the Champions League's warming up now. You get through the group stage, which, although, to be fair for Spurs, was quite exciting, but usually it's the same kind of rigmarole, isn't it? You're sort of just wading through water to get to this sort of stage. But the ties we've been given look very appealing. But if we go back to domestic matters now, we'll stay with Liverpool, though, Cole. They're top of the table still after beating Man United. And Shaqiri was undoubtedly the hero after coming off the bench and scoring not one, but two deflected goals. Shouldn't take away the quality of the goals themselves. They're still quite good, and they were very important. But that signing just shows just how much that Liverpool have their locker at the moment and also how important squad depth is going to be over the next few months. Yeah, it, it was key, wasn't it, Dan? I mean, you know, I think someone like Shakiri would have been ideal for us in the summer, you know, at the price he went for. And, and that's the sort of player that it's great to have in your squad because, you know, he will have, you know, there will be days where he frustrates you and maybe it's not happening for him. But then there'll be games where he'll come on and he'll have a run of three or four games where he puts in real good performances and wins you games. And that can be the difference between having a player like that in your squad can could bring you the title possibly because those six or so points you might have dropped by not having the resources to come off the bench suddenly when you've got them um they win you the games that win you the title so it was a real good buy um you know i don't think yeah he's not going to be one of their first names on the team sheet i don't think for Klopp. but what a player to be able to have to come off the bench for you um and that is what i think the top sides are really aiming to do aren't they you know you just want an 11 and then possibly three or four that you can bring off the bench that just push you over the line in a tight game. Um, and he settled in really well there by looks of it, Shakiri, you know, and, and Liverpool have done what they needed to do. You know, they, they addressed their weak areas in the summer. They've now got what looks like a real decent squad. Um, and, and we're seeing the rewards for that on the pitch. You know, I, I still, I still have my doubts whether they can get it over the line past City. Um, I guess we just have to wait to see how Liverpool respond to, say, maybe a couple of, of not-so-favourable results. You know, if they lose one, how do they respond to that defeat? You know, if they if they be, become the sort of side that lose one but then bounce back with three or four wins on the spin, that they'd be closer to Man City at the end than I think we, we believe they will be. Um, I just worry that potentially City will still have too much in their locker for anyone at the moment and they'll, they'll still win the league. But Liverpool will push them close and then it will be interesting to see what they do in the summer again with transfers because if they keep strengthening the way they are, then there will be two real good, solid teams that can fight for the title. Because I, I also believe Liverpool are not scared of City. I think Liverpool are the one team that don't fear playing Man City. You know, everyone else kind of sits there and thinks, oh, City this week, you know, oh, likely it is, we won't get nothing. Well, I actually believe Liverpool go into that game thinking, we beat these, we've got these, um, and that could be key when those two meet. Yeah, I mean, they meet, what, January 3rd. That's going to be an absolutely huge clash. It might not define the season because there's probably still time for twists and turns thereafter, but 
you know, what a way to bring in the new year because that is going to be an absolute cracker. But Matthew, last season, you would have got the feeling that at one or Liverpool would have probably made a sub to hold on and just think, okay, the point's fine. But that mindset is obviously changed. I guess they cannot afford to have that one now because, you know, a point won't do when Man City are on their coattails. So how has this sort of change in mentality manifested for you? I mean, what's the, the key difference for Liverpool at the moment? Um, I think the fact that they decided to go for the two points rather than hold on for one, you know, as you mentioned, A, would have been the fact that they're you know, uh, trying to go toe-for-toe with Manchester City. And B, I think, I don't want to touch too much on it, but the fact they were playing Manchester United and the state that Manchester United are in. If that had been Arsenal, say, who have shown themselves to be pretty good this season, or had it been Spurs, who have shown themselves to be pretty good this season, I don't think Jurgen Klopp would have done, uh, would have put off that same, would have put off that the same move. I think it's only because of the opponent that he decided, right, we're in a position here, we can do this. Um, but uh, just touching on, uh, just going back and touching on uh, on Shakiri. How long until he gets himself a place in the starting lineup? Because I, he, I do not understand how. You, yes, he was a bargain. You know, you don't have to justify the the fee by paying him every week because he wasn't that big of a signing. But surely he's someone, someone of a player that you feel. Right, surely we can get him from the start now. You know, have that kind of impact and that sort of uh, type of the way that he plays. You know, from the, uh, from the first whistle. It's a good point, actually. I, there's probably still a question mark over his fitness. I don't know about you, Cole, but he reminds me a bit of Van der Vaart. They sort of probably give you a good sixty minutes to start with, or you could sort of be more of an impact sub, like we saw on Sundays. Just you don't really sort of see him playing a full ninety because I think you know the. I think he's certainly got fitter since he left Stoke, but there's still maybe a, a small question mark over where we could do it for a full 90. Is that a fair statement to make, Cole? Yeah, I, I think, obviously, that, that that's fair. And, and I guess there's one of those key things, isn't it? He was the same at Stoke, where he was a little bit inconsistent, where he could go on a run on a two or three games where he was brilliant, and you kind of started thinking, you know, this, this guy's worth looking at, but then suddenly you wouldn't hear from him again for the next five games. Um, and then, like as you say, I think that's what's maybe put put a few people off is that he's you know yeah this bloke may only be able to give you 65 70 minutes from the start um and then sometimes you know he's great when he's great but when he isn't you're kind of carrying a player and almost playing with 10 men um so i think if he could start becoming really consistent then there's no reason why he couldn't force himself into that starting lineup um I, I just think he was brought there for the purpose of being an impact player who starts in the games when maybe they're playing, you know, a lesser side at home, or he's one of those players that they bring off the bench. You know, I, I just think Klopp probably has got his set eleven or his best, what he thinks is his best eleven, and Shakiri will just come into that when he needs to rest one of those. Um, but anytime Klopp wants to play his best eleven, Shakiri will start on the bench. But that doesn't say that doesn't mean to say if he puts a run of performances in, then he may give Klopp a headache where he has to start at some point, and then it's just about the consistency from there. Well, that's right. If you do those kind of performances that he did on Sunday, you're knocking on the door, you're asking those questions, then sooner rather than later, you will be given an opportunity. And then once you're given that opportunity, it's how you deal with it thereafter. Take Hume Min Song at Tottenham, you know, at points he was sort of knocking on the door, coming in, doing a job, and then bit by bit, it's almost sort of. He, you know, he's never quite the first name on the team sheet, but he's up there and he's a real strong option now. So maybe it's still time for sort of him, uh, in Sh- Shakira, shall I say, for him to sort of bed in and just, you know, like I say, keep asking the questions. Performances like that, then you're going to be a real valuable asset, especially in the second half of the season. And Matthew, T, who else may be valuable assets are the midfield pair of Fabinho and Naby Keita because they're finally starting to settle in. Because especially Fabinho, there was a point of like, why on earth have Liverpool bought him? Because they're not doing anything with him. But now you're sort of starting to see the benefits of both of them now, aren't they? Liverpool's looking even stronger in that midfield three. Um, yeah, and you know, you mentioned options. It's the fact that they've. Uh, it's it was something that we didn't really see from them much last year. It was was the fact they had options or they didn't have that many options off the bench. You know, we saw times Jurgen Klopp having to uh, stick academy players there. So it's obviously something they, they obviously addressed uh, and what, you know, wanted to address and then did address in the summer 
problem and the fact that they didn't have they didn't have much strength in depth. And I suppose really that's it's a good thing to have because you've got the likes of Keita and uh, Fabinho um, in as as options there. It gives you the chance of rotating. And also it's a bit it's a uh, a, a bonus so to speak. It's it's a, it's an improvement on what they had because it was it was Henderson and Milner every week. And you know, I do love James Milner, but there is there is a somewhat level to, uh, to there is a level to his skill set. So the fact that you're you're adding to that with the likes of Kate and Fabinho, you know, they obviously said right, we need something to properly go at Man City this year. These are the guys. These are the guys we need to do it. And it's you know proving off as they are. What is it? Two points clear? No, one point. Sorry, uh, clear at the top of the table. So obviously their strategy in the summer has, has worked for them. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, let's move on because we've got still lo- so much to cover and not much time. So, Matthew, I'll stay with you. We've focused on the league leaders, but unfortunately now we're going to have to focus on the team at the bottom, and that is your beloved Fulham. So, it was a bright start for Ranieri after winning that, I guess, was a six-pointer against Southampton. But if there was a new manager bounce, it's been a very short-lived one because it's just one point in the following four games. So, how important is a good Christmas period going to be for Fulham? Uh uh, vital because you know I've discussed on um, the on the Fulham focus on the Fulham podcast that I do Fulham focus um, that basically how we deal with this next three games uh, Newcastle away on Saturday Wolves at home and then Huddersfield at home basically defines not only our season but our long term future as well because say we come out of that period with zero points or one point or two points and you know we can go we go into January first and we think right we're down already. Now we need to start looking at um, players for the championship. Do we then start a sort of fire sale um, a la Leeds back in 2002-2003 and say, we're going down, we may as well face the inevitable, so who can we get money for? Sessegnon, you know, 30-40 million, off you go. Tom Kearney, 20 million, off you go. Uh, Mitrovic, 15 million, he's been tired at Everton, off you go. You know, that's sort of 50-60 million right there. That's already, you know, you can build a team for that in the championship. I don't want to be getting sort of too ahead of myself, but there is a there is a real danger that you know we do have this you know three games all of them six pointers so i don't know what the maths is there 18 pointers <laughs> over lots of points over, uh, yeah 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 exactly over over the christmas period and yeah but if we do come out of that you know newcastle away has sort of been a um a good hunting ground. I was trying to think what the opposite of a bogey ground is because Newcastle, uh, we are Newcastle's bogey team somewhat. So if we can get a decent result out of there, maybe then again home to Wolves on Boxing Day. And then Huddersfield, it, it, basically our whole season does come down to does come down to these these three games. And I think more probably, you know, you mentioned one point out of the uh, four games after Southampton. I think most people can accept the results that have come out today. You know, the draw against Leicester. Yeah, we can we can sort of accept that. Losing 4-1 at Old Trafford, fair enough. But it's just the performance and the way that it's been going. You know, the first 10 minutes against West Ham, if we'd have put one of those chances away... Everything would have been a lot would have been a lot better, but it's just the manner of the defeat and the fact that the second goal against West Ham uh, that we conceded just sort of seemed to suck the life out of, life out of our team because we didn't really have anything in the second half. So it's just a case of you no know, has the uh, feeling of empathy made its way from the stands to the uh, to the players on the pitch, and are, are they just sort of right two 0 down? There's no way we can get out of this now. Are they? Have they given up the fight the way that you know, most of the fans have, have given up the fight? Do you think Ranieri will be given funds in January? Because he's obviously working with, I guess, someone else's squad. Um, obviously, we can't forget that Fulham spent the best part of, I don't know, $100 million in the summer. So um, there might not be as much money there. Um, but then again, you sort of have to ask yourself, are they going to go mental? Because it could be something that breaks the club because you know it puts you in a real financial blight if you gamble and then get relegated after even more expenditure so can you see any more names helping out Ranieri to sort of smoothen the transition between one manager to the next there are a couple of names out there that can make a difference whether or not he's going to be given them again it does come all it does all come down to these three games say we lose the three uh, the club probably do have a mindset of right if we're in a good position these lot of players if we're in a bad position these lot of players i you know i can't imagine they're just being right regardless of what's going on in january we're going to go out and spend um i think you know uh, on the Fulham focus podcast we've discussed how many uh how much money we've got left to spend we we seem to come to think that it's around the region of about 50 million plus if you want to 
uh, 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 terminate loans and bring loans in or however strategically that will work. So we reckon there's 50 million left to spend. Whether or not you want to buy, you know, two 25 million pound players or if you want to buy five 10 million pound players, it's, you know, it's going to be a confusing one. But as I've said, it's all going to come down to what state we're in come, you know, when Big Ben chimes 12 on, on the 1st of January is going to hugely dictate is going to hugely dictate how we attack the transfer window. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. And Cole, they were beaten by West Ham at the weekend in what has led to the Hammers winning four on the bounce. Now, a lot of people at the start of the season were saying that Manuel Pellegrini was the wrong man for the job. It certainly clicked. Why has it clicked? Yeah, they they just look they look settled now, don't they? Um, I'm guessing a bit like everything, you know, it takes a little bit of time to get your ideas across and your philosophy, and then you need players to buy into it. Um, and I think it's one of them, you know, if players don't see results instantly, they may be a little bit more dubious. But it just looks like now they've got a bit more of a settled side. They've had a few players come back from injury. Um, and, and maybe, you know, they have got some decent players in that squad. You know, Anderson looks like he's a good player. So, you know, maybe it's just now starting to click for them. The squad feels settled. You know, the you know Pellegrini's getting those messages across that he wants to get across. And right now it looks good for him. So, you know, I won't say long may it continue. No. Um, but, <laughs> you know... It, Right now, that they're playing some good football and they're getting some good results, but I, I still probably feel that when they come across the kind of bigger sides and the better teams, um, I, I don't see them troubling them. To be honest, but they may be one of those sides that are sort of sixth or seventh come the end of the season because they may just be better than those below them. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it, at least it's good because I was worried that Pellegrini was already looking like death when he went there. So you know, a bad stint there could really have seen him off. So at least that's, at least that's maybe helping him health wise. Yeah, absolutely. I guess those wins were all the more impressive when you consider that pretty much all their forwards are out injured at the moment. So Antonio led the line on Saturday. To be fair, did a decent job, got a goal. And talking of decent jobs, credit it has to go to Southampton's attackers as they certainly used their heads on Sunday. A trio of goals were scored with the noggin as Ralph Hassenhutl oversaw his first Premier League win as Southampton manager. Matthew, now the difference between that and the Mark Hughes era was almost like the change from night into day, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, everyone talks about the new, you know, the new manager bounce and whether it's not, it's just a case of, you know, I, you know, uh, change in formation or anything but the biggest factor that you could cl- that you could clearly see mainly in his in his celebrations afterwards is just the fact that there's a bit more energy about him you know right. it's, it's it's not just a simple right we're going from 442 to 4231 and player x is coming in player x is coming out and more than that it showed that They've got that showed something that we don't have, and that's fight. You know, I mentioned it earlier. Is the fact that this, you know, House and Hootle, who's and Hattle, I always forget. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go to my, I will wow. go to my grave not knowing how to pronounce that, or always getting confused. Just has that that level of, you know, something we were probably looking for when Felix McGath came in. Just that German level of, you know, efficiency and drive that that we are clearly. The we the we're clearly lacking, so, and it, it, you know, compared to the dour sort of down, more serious levels of the the, the Mark Hughes brought in. Yeah, I guess you're absolutely right, really. I mean, if they can keep their strikers fit, Austin and Ings, you know, the two main main forwards, they should be okay because they've not been too bad. It's just the fact that for all their chances they're creating, they've been pretty woeful in the final third. So I think, like you say. Just a bit more energy around the place might just be the thing that sees them, you know, keep their head above water. But they certainly made Arsenal look ordinary on Sunday, which from a Tottenham point of view was absolutely brilliant. But Cole, I guess as Spurs fans, we have to sort of begrudgingly say that they've certainly improved under Unai Emery. That's something we can't really argue. So even with that said, there's still one thing they need to work on, which was apparent on Sunday, and that's their defence, especially now with the amount of injuries and suspensions that they have on the horizon. So this sort of festive window, this period, could be a real tricky one for the Gunners, couldn't it? Yeah, I, I think then... I, I, the problem with Arsenal has always kind of been that leakiness, isn't it? And that kind of ability to crumble at the back. You know, they've never really had a problem as an attacking force in the league. You know, they've always had real good quality 
creative midfielders and strikers. So Arsenal have never had an issue up front. And with Lacazette and Aubameyang, then they've just reinforced that. You know, those two are two really good strikers. But I think we are seeing what most people probably probably new which is that you know Unai Emery will need a couple of windows to kind of maybe get themselves shut up at the back a little bit more and kind of reinforce that with a couple of real good quality centre-halves you know and maybe another full-back to come in and then just build and get them a little bit more solid um, and I think that that is what we're seeing and the trouble they've got is that January's a notoriously bad window to try and get any real quality in because you're looking at paying over the odds for that um so they may just have to try and get through now till the summer um because you don't really see that many great transfers go through in january unless you're prepared to be like man city and splash out 100 million on one player to make a difference and i don't see arsenal doing that so i think they had a long-term plan which would be you know emery would need a couple of seasons at least um and i still believe that will be the case I think they're probably further along the journey than they thought they might be um, because they are looking a decent side at the moment. And, yeah, if they can just solid themselves up at the back a little bit more, then, you know, they'll give the top four a run for their money. So, you know, they may struggle defensively till the end of the season and that may be where some of the better sides get at them. Um, But I think they'll be all right. Um, And they'll probably look at fifth this year, fifth or sixth, and then in the summer you know, bring in the sort of defenders they need. And then I think they really would have a chance of getting back in that top four and pushing the elite. Carl, one name I have seen it with Arsenal that could work in theory is Gary Cahill because not getting much game time if any at Chelsea. Um, I know Chelsea sort of loathe to let their senior players move to sort of their rivals, but out of sort of loyalty, they did it to um, Petr Cech, you know, thanks for all your service, go where you want. Could it be sort of a halfway house for Cahill, gets the minutes he needs, you know, and then Arsenal fill their sort of gap as well? Can you see any legs in that? I'm not, I'm not so sure because I, I don't think he'd come in and do a massively better job, if I'm honest, than what they've probably got at the moment. Um, he's, you could possibly say the thing with Cahill is he's a little bit more solid and he's possibly better than bringing in a young player. So he could do a very professional job, but I'm not sure I'd see that one go through, to be honest. I'm not sure really what Arsenal would gain from that long term. Um, and obviously, yeah, I, I, maybe Chelsea won't want to do business with them, but they were happy to let Czech go. So maybe they'd be the same with Cahill, but I'm not sure I'd see that one coming off. If it was a loan move, perhaps, that might work, but I don't know. I'm just plucking the name out of the sky, really. Yeah, you, that time might you... be right there. Yeah, it, yeah, I think that you know that would be a loan move. I guess would probably really work for both sides because you know Cahill gets to play some football. You know Chelsea get him off their wage budget for say six months or so, and then yeah, Arsenal bring in a player that just for six months to the end of the season could shore him up a little bit more. Um, so that that would be an interesting one. But if I was Arsenal, a loan would be the only way I'd go for that player. I think you're right. Okay, chaps, it's time to uh, earn some money now as we have to do our loser pool picks of the week. So, Matthew, I'll start with you first. There's 10 matches across Friday through to Sunday. Out of those, who is your guaranteed banker loser this weekend? Uh, I'm going to pick a bit of a, a bit of an upset for me personally. Whether or not guaranteed. The upset sort of thing. Um, I think with all the chaos that's going on around this week, and I don't think they're going to get a decent manager in place in time, I'm going to put the loser pool. I guarantee you that Manchester United will lose at Cardiff City on Saturday night. Wow, because this is interesting, actually, because do you know what? For the first time ever, I think there's going to be the same game, but two different opinions, because I think Man United will win because the shackles are off, as they say, because I think they've they've got to do better. Um, but then... At the same time, Matthew, you know, Cardiff, their fans, they are like a literal 12th man this season, aren't they? Because of the points that Cardiff have won, it's what, 14? And 13 of them have come at the Cardiff Stadium. So um, the more I think about it, the more I'm doing myself a bit of a bother here. Because, no, actually, no, I'm going I'm to stick with Man United. So one of us is going to be, well, unless it's a draw, I guess, but one of us might be wrong, which is a, a shock moment. Because usually it's sort of three different picks. So we never had a sort of dueling clash. So, um, 
Do you want to expand a bit more on why you think Cardiff will win? Is it just the, the male storm that's followed United over the last few days? The heads will be gone? Or can you see Cardiff actually grinding out a performance? Um, I, th- I think a little bit of both. I've, you know, I think all the talk is going to be, you know, mainly it's because of this whole thing with, you know, Michael Carrick's going to be, going to be taking the, going to be taking the training for the next couple of days. I don't see, uh, I don't see a coach or anything in Michael Carrick. I don't see, now if this was an immediate short, you know, if this was an immediate, a uh, big name appointment, like Zinedine Zidane has been, you know, has been uh, touted a bit as well. And he'd have three solid days to get his ideas drilled in. Then yes, I can maybe see it, but I just don't think there's going to be enough of a change in mentality in that sort of uh, three, in that three to four day spell. Plus, is there anywhere you would, you know, Big no big sides away aside. Is there any of the sort of lower t- table teams that you would rather not be going this, than Cardiff City and a Neil Warnock side? Is there anywhere you'd that rather not be going? Point, actually, that is a very good point. Um, yeah, I mean, it should make for a cracking clash. You know, it's going to be an interesting one anyway. But um, I think you know just this added subplot for me in my mindset. I'm thinking that United are going to be it's like having a supply teacher. Where it's like, yeah, we can have some fun this week. Do you know what I mean? Like, the boss isn't in. They, we can just sort of go for it. So, um, it will be interesting to see how it pans out. Like I say, one of us, unless it's a draw, will will be wrong. Um, let's see who it is. But, Cole, obviously, you could go for the draw. Just confuse matters even more. But hopefully, you've got another pick. So, for you, who is your guaranteed loser banker this week? So, I'm going to go for... West Ham to lose at home to Watford. Oh, that's um, an interesting one. That's an interesting one. <clears throat> yeah, I think Watford are playing some good football um, and are really unlucky not to come away from Goodison the other week with the win. Um, and the way they came back in that game was was credit to them. And I, I actually think they're going to have too much for West Ham. And this will be one of them sides where just as West Ham starts to think they've got the momentum going their way, you know, someone like Watford are going to come along and just upset them with Deeney and the players they've got like that. So for me, I think, you know, we'll see Watford um, beat West Ham this weekend. Yeah, because I was reading the Evening Standard, like the London paper, if you're not from London, and uh, I think it was Pedro Obiang was banging on about how they're looking for a record five wins in a row or they haven't done it in years or something. So, you know, this is a big important... It's kind of the omens, isn't it? That's it, it yeah. The omens are there. They've, they've, right. they've just started thinking things have turned and, you know, Europe could be on, you know, yeah, Europa League it, could be buzzword. on the horizon. And, and then all of a sudden, bash, there you go. Home game against Watford that they'd probably feel now they should win. And then Watford just come along and burst the bubble and say, no, hold on a minute. It, it's not that simple. Yeah, I think you make a very good case for it, actually. And I think, you know, Watford... Uh, but very good against Cardiff. They took the foot off the pedal after going through and up, but it's a, Watford are always a funny team. They sort of do have a habit of blowing hot and cold. You never quite know what you're going to get, but you're right, Carl. They are capable of turning on some really decent performances, and it's going to be an interesting tie. Um, so I'll just recap. Carl's gone for West Ham to lose at home to Watford. I've gone for Cardiff to lose at home to Man United. And Matthew's gone for Man United to lose away at Cardiff. So, yeah, a real mixed bag. Usually it's sort of whoever Man City are playing, the loser. But I like the fact we've sort of gone a little bit uh, bit left field. So good picks this week, lads. Let's see if they pay off. Um, where are we? Still quite a lot of admin to do, actually. A lot of fixtures that we haven't spoken about. And unfortunately, we're not going to get to others. It would be a two-hour pod. So I'll spare you the details there. But just a quick bit of um, notes across the other games. Let's look at Huddersfield. They've scored just 10 goals this season, a damning statistic in itself, but when you consider that their joint top scorers are Aaron Moy and Zanka, the defender, it doesn't bode well at all. Uh, Newcastle were the team that beat them, and Rafa Benitez is continuing to work miracles on Tyneside. I mean, we see rumours that the club might be sold in, I guess, January, um, but again, you have to take them with a pinch of salt because we've heard that before. Bournemouth, they're a funny one. They've lost six of the last seven. Um, there's no sort of crisis but I mean it's going to be a concern to Eddie Howe at the same time the team that beat them Wolves I mean they had a spell where they picked up one point from 18 and now after three straight wins they're seventh so it just goes to show how important getting a run together in that middle tier of the Premier League really is Um, Man City beat Everton we learned nothing new there except they sort of bounced back from defeat so um, you know business is back Chelsea beat Brighton again business as usual but less said about their fans the better so and I think that is about it yeah Watford beat Cardiff we've just pretty much done that one um, where are we also no Tottenham versus Burnley chat you might have recognised 
because that's been covered at length on my eSpurs podcast. So if you want a more in-depth look at that and what's happened at Spurs over the past seven days, it's been a very busy week, not withstanding all this potch chat, so that won't be in it, but just about everything else, be sure to check that one out and take a breath. Also, I need to thank my guests. It's been an excellent hour or so. Matthew, an absolute pleasure. I do hope you'll join me in the new year to do it all over again. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you want me on, you know I'm only a DM and away. I'm a DM away. Excellent news, my friend. We'll definitely do it again in 2019. And Cole, the same to you, mate. Always a pleasure chatting to you, and I hope you'll join me in the new year. Definitely, Dan. It's been great. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much, buddy. Uh, Yeah, just uh, in terms of recording schedules and dates, uh, we usually do this on a Tuesday, so that's, what was it, Christmas Day, New Year's Day. There's absolutely no chance a podcast going out on those days. Therefore, um, if I've got the time, I might try and just take stock of what's happened over the Christmas period, a quick half hour or something. So um, we'll see how we go. I probably won't promise a podcast, but I'll probably get bored and squeeze one out anyway. So just keep an eye out if it is one going live. So I just want to thank everyone who's listened to the show in 2018. I'm really enjoying recording these shows each week. I hope you enjoy the end product. A big thanks to my sponsors, Loserpool. Make sure you check them out at loserpool.com. We're 20 shows in now. It's gone so quickly. It feels like I've done 200 I'm looking forward to doing even more content in 2019. Also, more importantly, I need to thank anyone who's taken the time to be a guest on the show this year. There's always an open invitation to them. And of course, if you would like to get involved in the show, then just get in touch with me on Twitter at DanTracy1983. Right then, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, maybe even next year, goodbye. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.